Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Bloom and Tech, where we look at the collision of technology, entertainment, and media, and talk about some of the joys and sorrows therein. I'm your host, David Bloom. I am so glad to be with you again. Thanks so much for listening, and thanks to our sponsors for their support. You know, it's been an interesting several days for media, particularly streaming media, and some of the plans being shown. We had Apple come out a couple weeks ago, and now we've got Disney. And just a couple days ago, Netflix had their quarterly earnings announcement where they said, we're glad to see everybody coming in. It all got me thinking about Texas Hold'em, a popular poker variant you can see on TV and other places. There's a point in the game called the flop, where everyone on the table finally sees some, but not all, of the cards that each player has. The final reveal won't happen until after a few more rounds of betting, but everyone starts to know more about what everyone else has. Right now, in the business of streaming video, we're in the flop. Some of the new players are showing more cards, and we're getting a better idea of what's in their hand. A few weeks ago, it was Apple's turn, though I have to say, very few of their cards proved very exciting to me anyway, and I don't think to many other folks. They didn't show much, other than some fancy names, some big-name folks, who talked about the things that they're doing that you can't look at yet. Unlike Apple, this past week, Disney showed a lot more of its hand, including Disney's initial pricing, an ad-free single-tier business model, and actual substantive trailers for some of its planned shows. Several other major players have yet to show much of anything. You know, NBC Universal said, yes, we're coming out with something maybe in a year, but they've given virtually no other information so far. Warner Media has shown more. They've got Kevin Riley, the card sharp former uh, head of Fox TV, now leading their streaming initiative. But that company is still getting through a radical restructuring under its new corporate overlord, AT&T. All that Warner's shown so far, at least to me, is a befuddling three-tier approach with different business models, prices, and content. All of it seems to me to suggest that Warner needs to take another look at its hand and maybe pull a few new cards in. Also possibly dealing themselves in on this table are Walmart's Voodoo and maybe something more from Google slash YouTube. Facebook, or Microsoft. Sony's decided to share the cards it holds with with Crackle by partnering with, of all things, Chicken Soup for the Soul. Sony TV also cut a first-look deal with Wattpad, the interesting site whose millions of writers have found some paying gigs generated from the free fiction that they post there. Though none of these potential players seem to be holding any aces, it's worth noting that Netflix released a graphic Tuesday showing that quote, Facebook video, unquote, sucks up a slightly higher percentage of global downstream mobile internet traffic than Netflix. Snapchat takes more than three times as much, and YouTube nearly 15 times as much. But none of that is playing in the premium video space where Netflix and Disney Plus and all these other big-time poker players hope to be. But let's take a look at the cards that Disney showed. As CEO Bob Iger previewed really months ago, Disney's offering will debut at a considerably lower price than Netflix, in part because Disney will have a lot less to offer. As Iger intimated back then, for all of Disney's vast media assets, it will need to up the velocity, as he put it, of content production to compete with the Netflix magic show generator. That's what I like to call it, but it's pretty much like that. Stuff just keeps coming out of it, almost like by magic. So to front-load subscriber sign-ups and get some cash coming in, Disney will charge about 7 bucks a month and dangle pretty much all the jewels in its possession including the 32 treasures kept in its vault, library films and new projects from Pixar, Marvel, Disney Animation, and Star Wars, as well as documentaries or other non-fiction content from National Geographic, which it just bought from Fox, and new partners such as Supper Club, the creators behind Chef's Table. 
They'll even add in the more fam- the family friendly content from Fox itself, uh, The Simpsons in particular, from that $71 billion Fox acquisition. You know, that's a lot for about half of what Netflix is charging. Investors went officially kind of nuts over Disney's show of its hand, sending shares up 10% in a day. I think a more measured response is probably in order, at least in the short term. Disney is losing close to a billion dollars a quarter on its current streaming efforts, ESPN+, Hulu, and BamTech, which is providing infrastructure. To help make Disney Plus go, the company's removing all kinds of hugely valuable programming currently licensed to Netflix and other outlets, costing it an additional estimated $250 million a year or so in outside revenue. The company reportedly wants to take still more products temporarily off the market to build anticipation for the Disney Plus debut. This can't be welcome news for people who are profit participants in some of those temporarily mothballed shows, and I don't suspect they're going to be too excited about the limited uh, return that they'll get when it's on a Disney Plus that isn't up and going at a really high level. So there's going to be, I think, some pushback on some of that in the months to come. It'll be interesting to see how that plays out, though I doubt we'll hear much about it uh, in public. And Disney's also signaling, by the way, that it won't change traditional release windows for, say... Frozen 2, which will be huge when it comes out later this year. That film will hit theaters, then it will go to electronic sell-through and DVD markets for a couple of months, before it will finally come to Disney Plus for a seven to nine month run. There's no special treatment there for a hot product that could help boost Disney Plus. The company's also putting a pause on new Star Wars movies after the final episode of the original trilogy of trilogies. That's in part because of the underperformance of Solo, which suggested that appetite for more Star Wars movies isn't quite as boundless as that galaxy far, far away. And that's yet another reason for a slightly more measured response right now. Maybe audiences can get burned out on all these more or less family-friendly, nerd-driven franchises after all. I mean, wouldn't it be a kick if, say, subscribers aren't all that much into the Boba Jango Fett-inspired series The Mandalorian, though I suspect there will be plenty of fans geeking out. But estimated production cost for the first eight episodes was $100 million. When it arrives on Disney+, Plus, will it make that money back? I don't think it will right away. The question is, will it keep people on Disney+, Plus and paying for more than one month of quick binging? Maybe these cards will turn out to be pretty good, but it's possible they might not be quite as good as once thought. One need merely ponder the content issues and fan blowback that dogged some of the Marvel-Netflix collaborations. Anyone remember Iron Fist, for instance? A couple of other facts to remember. On Tuesday, Netflix reported it had added nearly 10 million more subscribers in the first quarter of the year. That puts the number one streamer at nearly 149 million subscribers in nearly 200 countries. When Disney launches in November, it will start with exactly zero subscribers. Disney also will roll out in Europe and Asia after the initial U.S. launch, reportedly within a couple of months. But each of those markets will bring its own complications, complications that Netflix has been navigating for years now, and for whom it is rolling out local programming left and right. Executives at Netflix pointed to overseas hits such as Kingdom from South Korea, which <laughs> they described in their newsletter to their, to their shareholders as, quote, a period piece with zombies. I am deeply intrigued, I have to say. They also pointed to the Spanish-language feature Durante la Tormenta that are finding Netflix audiences far from their original home. And though Netflix projects that this quarter will only add about 5 million more subscribers, thanks in part to, quote, temporary churn caused by price hikes that will help it pay for more content and edge closer to profitability, 
It could easily have 160 million subscribers by the time Disney Plus debuts. One bullish projection estimated Disney would hit 160 million subscribers in 2024, five years from now. How many subs will Netflix have by then? All of which suggests that the real fight isn't so much Disney versus Netflix, it's Disney versus everyone else in the new Hollywood. How much will Disney lose in foregone revenue, production costs, streaming expenses, and the rest before it hits the scale it needs to make this a sustainable business? And when does Hulu get around to being a sustainable business now that Disney controls it? It hasn't been so far. Maybe under Disney's control, with 60% actually, and they just uh, bought back the 10% share from Warner Media. maybe it will get there sooner than later. But we'll have to see. At least it'll have a direction and a single uh, lead owner, which I think will make a difference in terms of its direction and functionality. But that's two operations, lots of money, and lots of production. Uh, Disney doesn't have a choice. It needs to do all this stuff to get to the next place. But in fact, it may be years before even Disney service is compelling enough to justify charging $12 or $15 a month as your main entertainment service. That could mean years of losses before Disney starts making big money, and I do think it will eventually, from its streaming services. It does not have a choice, and I think that's important to remember. It doesn't have a choice. There's a fine article by Cynthia Littleton from Variety talking about the impacts right now on small cable companies as they're seeing their cord-cutting customers just wither away. They're just going away. Even the small guys are seeing a much greater growth in their internet subscription. They've got a big pipe and people are willing to pay for it. They just don't want to buy video that through the traditional means. Comcast, for, for example, the owner of NBC Universal, has 3 million more internet subscribers than it does cable subscribers, and that gap will only continue to grow. Companies like Disney, which have depended on pay TV on the traditional cable model, to finance really the entire corporation, though they've had huge success in their movie projects, particularly last year when they had a, a third best box office of any studio all time. Disney still has depended on its cable uh, operations to pay for a big chunk of what it does. The resorts and parks pay for the rest of it. That'll be harder to sustain in the years to come, which is why Disney's making the change. All this means that Netflix for all the concern people have about what's going to happen to it. It's still holding a very strong hand. It's stronger than all the newcomers for now. As the flop transitions to call and we finally see what everyone's hand looks like, I expect we'll have some real and expensive flops of a different sort. The kind of flop that Hollywood knows all too well over the last hundred years or so of operation. And then we'll see a new game being dealt out. So that's this episode. Thanks so much for listening. If you like what I'm doing, please upvote it or however you're doing it on the platform you're on. Uh, give, it a, give it a star or whatever. Share it. Review it. Do all those nice things that make a difference in terms of uh, the magic algorithm machine and getting it out there and letting other people see it and find out about it. You can reach me on Twitter, at David Bloom, and I'd love to hear from you and get your feedback. Thanks again as well to our sponsors, and you guys all have a great day. This is David Bloom for Bloom and Tech, over and out. You've been listening to Bloom and Tech. I am your host, David Bloom. Thanks so much. And our podcast has been sponsored in this episode by Fabric Media in Venice, California. Take care, everyone. Thank you.